to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Uh, tonight it might be an unhealthy dose oh, of debunking. Well, that'll make up for the last two episodes where we had that's no true. debunking. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like for any of our friends at home who sometimes get annoyed at the level that Kim Scully's. Get ready. Sorry. Let's get ready to Scully. I feel like at some point we should try to Scully like the WWE. <laughs> I mean, do we really need to? I feel like everyone knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows already. Although strangely enough, can I tell you, because um, I have a couple people who are, are in my life who are very much into it, mm-hmm. and I've never really, what's the word? Cared? Cared. <laughs> it's the way to the put word. it, sure. It's the way to put it. I've never really cared. Um, but recently, because there's been a couple like live tweets about it um, um, from some people on my feed, and I have to say from a theatricality standpoint, wait, let me rephrase that, from a theatrical standpoint. Uh, I'm kind of starting to maybe understand some of the appeal. Oh. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of a soap opera. Plus, you've got stage combat, and there's drama, there's villains. I don't know. I'm still not at the point where I'm going to sit down and watch it, but I'm intrigued enough where it might happen one day. We'll see. Can't wait to hear about that. We'll hear about <laughs> Glow on Creepy Critics Corner from Kim. <laughs> I like Glow. Oh, perfect. It's a cute show. It's what well, cute maybe great. not the right word, but it's, I know I really enjoy it. I was kind of bummed when it got canceled when it did. I know. It's a pretty good show. I felt like it deserved I could see season. you identifying with the girl that like dresses like a wolf and gets angry at everybody. I mean, that is what I do in my free time. So like Kim I, I, needs to be a wolf character in <laughs> wrestling. So Actually, decided. it's funny when I when I was in grad school, we had these clown characters because we took clown because it's grad school. That's what you do in grad school. Sure. That's what you did in grad school, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we developed these clown characters, and uh, your clown character kind of evolves. Like you don't know what your character is going to be going into it. It's something you pick out your wardrobe for. It. You try things. Some stuff sticks. Some doesn't. What we found out of my clown, my clown's name was Annie. She was a cunt. <laughs> She was no, I know, like I, she was full on, like she didn't talk a lot. She just glared at people and got violent. That seems to check. <laughs> and what was great was that there have been times, like when I'm walking home alone at night, and I am absolutely one hundred percent channeling Annie. Like somebody I, comes up to you and you just give them this look and they back off. <laughs> that's called magic. It's, it's, you know, I appreciate Annie and everything she did for me. I'll send you a picture of me in my clown gear. It's pretty funny. Oh, we'll post it on the Instagram. <laughs> I will give you permission to post on the Hell Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. So we had two fairly intense episodes previously. Yes. yes. Um, which Gabby very diligently and thoroughly took on. And uh, I thought we might want to look at something. I feel like it's weird to call this a lighter topic, but compared to mass murder, <laughs> it is? Question mark? <laughs> well, I will also say, after we released our episode on the Exorcist Curse, 
uh, I was surprised how many messages that I got from people asking to cover another movie curse. Ooh, yeah. So ask and thou shalt receive. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the poltergeist curse. (sighs) Have you seen poltergeist, Gabby? I saw poltergeist when I was like a young teenager and I have not seen it since. (laughs) Did you see any like any of the sequels or the new one? Mm -mm. Haven't seen the sequels or the new one, just the OG. I know it's on my to-do list. I still have to do that, get to that at some point. Um, well, so I've seen, uh, both the, the, I saw the original and the first sequel part two, and then I saw the remake. There's three films as a part of the first franchise and then the remake from 2015. The only one I haven't seen so far is part three, which is apparently not supposed to be a great one. Part two for me, honestly, was not awesome. There was some choices where I was like, okay, that's mildly entertaining but it was not good enough where i was like i need to continue on this franchise um but i will say poltergeist is a horror classic it's a horror classic for a reason it is absolutely worth a watch much like the exorcist i did not see it until i was a full-fledged adult so i think i was in my late 20s probably when i saw it and being that i am only 29 that is a feat uh (laughs) shut up (laughs) shut up (laughs) um were you scared by it when you first saw it? I'm Absolutely, curious. 100%. I was a 12-year-old. Um, so oh. for me, uh, that that was outside of my realm of what I would normally watch if my mom knew I watched it. <laughs> I'm recording from home right now. If my mom <laughs> knew that I watched it when I was 12, she'd probably get very angry at me. Um, retroactive. <laughs> retroactively angry. At this point, what can you do? It's What's done is done. I am who I am. Um mm. But yeah, no, I definitely was terrified. I was terrified when Jurassic Park came out. So like, <laughs> that should tell you my level of terror. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Uh, I yeah, I appreciate the movie. Again, I I watched it being like I understand why this had an impact on people, uh, but it was never one that scared me, and it was not one that also stuck with me hardcore. I watched it, I appreciated it, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm good. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with the plot, and I feel like I have to say this still, even though it's a, like, what, 40-year-old movie. Uh, this is your spoiler alert. <laughs> if you don't want to know anything about this movie, stop the episode, go watch it, and come back. Cool? Cool. Cool. Poltergeist tells the story of the Freeling family, who is living in a California home that is part of this planned community. They have three children. Uh, a teenager, an eight-year-old, and a five-year-old girl named Carol Ann. Mm, Carol Ann. Carol Ann. They begin noticing strange things happening, and it escalates to the point where five-year-old Carol Ann disappears into a portal in her closet. Ooh. I hate it when that happens. Her <laughs> voice is... I mean, it's happened to me like three times when I was a kid. It sounds like a personal <laughs> problem. awkward, yeah. Uh, her voice is heard in the TV, and they bring in this paranormal team to investigate... And the father then learns that this planned community, and he was a part of building this planned community, was built on top of a cemetery. Of course. So he, he knew it was part, you know, that it was built on top of a cemetery. He was told that the graves were moved. That's a very familiar story. I feel like that's mm. the story of that uh, Comet Lodge Cemetery in Seattle. <laughs> there, is, there are definitely some similarities. And there have been a, a handful of other, uh, I think, times throughout history 
like this, Mm -hmm. uh, where you've had something where he would later find out, of course, that the graves were indeed not moved. At least the bodies weren't. Dun, dun, dun. Don't you hate it when that happens? I hate it when those bodies are still hanging out. So do I. Uh, So, ultimately, they get Carol Ann back. They flee the home as the house implodes into a portal, which is pretty sweet, actually, when the house implodes down. Uh, There's an episode of The Simpsons. It was one of the early Treehouse of Horror episodes that parodies, like, the house getting sucked into the portal. So, again, I'm sure, even if you've never seen this movie, there's going to be references from this that are familiar to you. Sure. It is regarded by many to be the best haunted house movie of all time. When you look at who is behind it, it is easy to understand why. You have a movie directed by Toby Hooper of Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame. Nice as well as a screenplay penned by Steven Spielberg. Did you know that? I did not know that Spielberg Mm -hmm. helped write it. Well, and depending on who you ask, uh, there's varying accounts of how much involvement Spielberg actually had in directing because there's those that that say he directed a good chunk of it or kind of would strong arm a bunch of things in the process. Some of the actors on set dis- disagree with this, but it's it's safe to say Steven Spielberg was very hands-on during this process. Cool. Now, unlike The Exorcist, which fully leaned into this idea of the film being cursed as part of their publicity. The Mm. idea of there being a curse really wouldn't start to come to a full head until the third film. But I'm going to lay out some of the things that supposedly happened as part of the curse. Then we're going to go through them one by one. Ooh, can't wait. Talk a little bit more in depth. So when people start tracing back what could have triggered this curse... What most people point to are the skeletons. Or are they in the closet? (laughs) Something was in the closet. I think Carol Ann was in the closet. That was it. (laughs) So Joe Beth Williams, who played Diane, who's the Mm -hmm. mother, she has a scene where she falls into this muddy swimming pool and suddenly all of these skeletons start popping up. Spooky. Well, it's going to get spookier because... Some of these skeletons were they real? Were real. Oh, absolutely, shoot, really? they were. So, what she would later say in an interview is, "In my innocence and naivete, I assumed that these were not real skeletons. I assumed that they were prop skeletons made out of plastic or rubber. I found out, as did the crew, that they were using real skeletons because it's far too expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber." Wait. Hold the phone. We're we're gonna be talking more about that specifically. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. But okay, so like, go on. press save because we're gonna be looping back to all of these things. Okay, holding on, holding. Okay. There's a scene with Robbie, who is the the little boy, the eight year old boy. He gets grabbed by this clown doll and strangled. The actor claims that the animatronic doll came to life and strangled him. Wait, so he didn't know it was animatronic? Oh, no, he knew it was animatronic, but it really strangled him. That it, it like, it actually, it wasn't fake strangling, it wasn't movie strangling. He was being strangled by this doll because he thought it came to life. Dang. One of the more memorable tragic incidents was the death of Dominique Dunn, who played the eldest daughter, Dana. 
She was killed a few months after the film was released. This incident is what some look at as like the first time you see this idea of a curse Mm -hmm. being attached at all, but it's still not really there. Julian Beck, he played this creepy old preacher Kane in part two. He also died of stomach cancer in June of 1985 before part two was even released to theaters. Okay. Also in part two, one of the actors, Will Sampson, he was so concerned with them using skeletons, the real use of skeletons and how it was bringing this negative energy to set. He performed an exorcism one night after filming was done. And some of the accounts I read said the second day of filming in 1984 for part two, fellow cast members would report feeling relieved after he did this. And then he would go on to die. Oh, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, The one that kind of gets me the most is the death of 12-year-old Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann in all Mm. three of the movies. Even those who haven't seen the movie have probably heard her iconic line, They're here. She would die in February of 1988 before the final movie was uh, finished. It was, it was, um, they hadn't actually fully finished filming it. They, they wanted to go back and do some reshoots for the ending because the original wasn't testing well. Richard Lawson, who played Dr. Ryan Mitchell in the film, was on USA Air Flight 405 when it crashed, killing uh, more than half of the people on board. Dang. Lou Perryman, who had a small part in the original film, also murdered. Zella Rubinstein. She also died after the films were released. She plays the psychic Tangina Barons in I all three films. I remember her from other movies, too. Oh, she's... Yeah, she she's done a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Zelda Rubenstein, I absolutely love. Um, but those are, those are all of the primary incidents that happened that are, are looked at as being some kind of, of part of this curse. So we're going to start ticking through these. And uh, Gabby, brace yourself. Oh, I'm bracing. I'm already holding on. I don't know what I'm holding on to, but I am holding. I'm about to go full Metal Scully. <laughs> Ooh, here we go. And I'm going to ask you to weigh in because we're going to play like a little game show, Curse Ooh. or No Curse. Ooh, Curse or No Curse. And curse I think no if curse. anyone wants to do a drinking game, only drink when it's a curse or no curse, your choice. I suppose it depends on how drunk you want to get. Fair. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Okay. Curse number one, human skeletons in the pool. Yeah, they absolutely 100% used real skeletons. However, you know who else has used real skeletons? Who? Like so many movies. So (laughs) many movies. Skeleton on House on Haunted Hill, real. Skeleton Frankenstein, real. Uh, It is not an unusual or strange practice because it legitimately is so much cheaper to go to a medical supply place and buy a skeleton than to make one of plastic or rubber or some other material. So here's my question. Yes. Where they got these skeletons from, it's a medical supply place is where they get it from? And whose skeletons are they? Is it like people who donate their bodies to science? No, it's absolutely like people donating their body to science. And uh, I mean, I <laughs> Ross at Spooked in Seattle, he has a skeleton. We have a skeleton in our death museum. It's weird to say this, but it's it's actually not that hard to get them. 
Uh, universities purchase them. Um, science departments in the high school might purchase them. And at some point, you will also sometimes, like the reason we got spooked ones, the spooked one was a medical supply skeleton. It was one that had been used, I think, at a university. And they were going to be replacing it. Because skeletons do get old and do kind of start to fall apart. And so utilicilts had bought it to, I don't know, put a kilt on it, I guess, because hipsters. And uh, they were getting rid of it, and so Ross bought it. But, like, you donate your body to science? Yep. Okay, so my follow-up question to that is, whoever owned that skeleton, are they haunting whoever owns the skeleton? That would be an interesting thing to look into. I can't think of ever hearing an account of someone's whose house was haunted because they had like a medical supply skeleton but that'd be such a good story though <laughs> who's to say we we could definitely look into it um so like is the skeleton thing kind of creepy sure but if that's our baseline for determining whether or not a movie is cursed then like there's a whole lot more cursed movies out there than anyone ever knew about <laughs> Craig Reardon, who is one of the special makeup effects for Poltergeist in 1981, he spoke on Shudder's Poltergeist episode of Cursed Films Mm -hmm. about the fact they did use human skeletons, and I think he actually stated everything quite well. The idea of having a few of them on the set of Poltergeist and killing lovely young girls is a pretty pernicious idea. It's an insult to the memory of a very sweet little girl, Heather O'Rourke, and it's worse than that to Dominic Dunn, who was strangled to death by her boyfriend, which had fuck all to do with the skeleton. So, I mean... one way to put it. Yeah, no, for me, that tracks, but... Mulder, what do you say? Curse or no curse? I say no curse. Okay, ooh. She says no curse, okay. I mean, but I think, had I not known the context, I would say that... Again, maybe there's a ghost taunting this uh, sure. movie oh, no, of absolutely. a body that was there. Which, who's to say that there wasn't? But sure. that's not necessarily technically a curse. No, that a ghost does not a curse make. A haunting, not a exactly. curse. Exactly. Ghosts do not make a curse. Those are two very different things. Curse item number two, clown doll attacking a child. <laughs> Which is... Um, the plot no of a lot curse. Of movies. That's a child getting freaked out by an animatronic item, thinking it's actually choking him. Well, okay. So again, this whole scene is genuinely pretty creepy. You've got this like weird, weird, weird clown doll. You have a kid already freaked out by it. He was already freaked out by this clown doll, and it it does. It's supposed to come to life and try to kill him. So they have this animatronic version of the doll, which was meant to accomplish the scare, right? So they're filming the scene, and the doll's arms are wrapped around the actor's neck, but it's too tight. It was genuinely making the child have trouble breathe. That was not correct. It was genuinely making the the child uh, have trouble breathing. So he starts yelling out, and of course the director's like, wow, this kid's good. Great acting. (laughs) Great acting, kid. Uh, It was apparently Spielberg who realized that he was in actual distress and got the doll off of him. Poor kid. I know, I was poor kid. He's just like, if I wasn't creeped out by clowns before. Trauma. Just pure trauma in doll form. (laughs) So like, again, it's creepy. But the doll malfunctioned. It was a robotic doll that malfunctioned as robotics are known to do, especially, I don't know, I think about how many times the the animatronic Disneyland characters malfunction. Um, Like, could I point at this and say, ooh, curse 
evil, cursed, possessed doll? Sure, but also no. So for me, Agent Scully, I'm going to chop this up to the fact it's 1981 and animatronic dolls malfunction. What say you, Mulder? Curse or no curse? I have questions. <laughs> I wonder when they were, like, practicing the choking. <laughs> well, A, did they practice the choking? That I do not know. <laughs> B, did they measure the, like, diameter of this kid's neck prior to training this animatronic doll on how tight to squeeze? Well, that's not fully how it would have worked, most likely, because it wasn't a squeezing like with your two hands around the neck. It was a um, arm around kind of situation. But even then, like, wouldn't you know when to stop to make it acting and not actually murder? Well, and again, to that point, depending on how it was programmed or if somebody was operating it, And this is one of the problems, like, there's so many accounts of actors in genuine distress during some kind of of stunt like this, Mm -hmm. where because their character is also in distress. No one notices it. That that happened in Exorcist as well, I remember. It happened in Exorcist, yes. Mm -hmm. And it also happened, I think, uh, was it um, one of the the magic films, The Prestige, I think, where there's the girl in the tank of water. And she was actually drowning. She Whatever release was supposed to, to let her go, she couldn't get to it. And so she's in genuine distress. But again, everybody just thinks she's acting. That's so tough. Um, isn't that who, how Harry Houdini died? He had one of his tricks go wrong involving water? Am I remembering that incorrectly? Oh, okay. So he was sick. Oh, okay. So he... Oh, is this where he got the punch to the stomach? Yes, the hammer-like punches caused visible pain, and Houdini stopped mid-blow on the third attempt to punch his gut. That happened, and then he had a temperature after that. So he had a fever of 104 degrees, and uh, a doctor was called to his dressing room afterwards um, and said that he had acute appendicitis. Mm. And he said, the show must go on. Sorry. Uh, And then he said, I'll do the show if it's my last. The performance was on his best, but it did not include him collapsing on the stage or having to be rescued from the water torture chamber by an axe-wielding assistant, as many... I think, yeah, I, I think that, I think that's, claimed. like, urban legend thing that I, I had yeah, in my Yeah, that's, that's an urban so that legend. He was it. actually, yeah. like, sick. Um, he refused it. medical treatment and was really sick, and he underwent an emergency operation to remove his appendix, which had ruptured. That's right. Um, this is kind of coming And back he had to a bad now. abdominal affection, infection and then had to have a second operation um, and then got overwhelming sepsis afterwards and died from sepsis. But this is such a good example of how a story can get twisted too. Yeah. Because I had that in my brain because it's it's one of the urban legends associated with his death. And then we look up facts and then we say, and then we look up no, facts. sepsis and sucks. Sepsis, sepsis is sucks. the worst. But also people, this is why you sometimes have to embrace your inner Scully. It is not saying that something is untrue. It's saying I would like to verify these facts before I say them as truth. And always check your sources, friends. Always check your sources. Always check your sources. Anywho. But we were saying, too, how the kid was getting choked. So in my opinion, I think it was to go back to this long tangent. (laughs) I would say that it's definitely just a malfunction and people not doing the right type of research or making sure a kid is okay. Like, it's just lazy. It's lazy. It's lazy. And it's, it's, 
Uh, no, again, for me, this is just the kind of accident that, that can happen on set and is, is unfortunate and tragic and sad and shouldn't happen. But I think it's a stretch to say that this was somehow supernatural or a curse for me. I agree. Oh, I'm impressed. We said we're two for two, two for, for two. two. All right. Now, okay, this third one is is genuinely very, very, very sad. Uh, Dominique Dunn, who plays Dana, played Dana. She was the eldest daughter in the first film. She was a promising young actress whose career was really taking off. In 1981, she was 21 years old. She met a man named John Sweeney at a party. John Sweeney worked for Wolfgang Puck as a sous chef. Wow, fancy. Fancy. He was seven years older than Dominique. And within a week or a couple weeks of meeting each other, the accounts vary a little bit, they moved in together. And listen, I don't want to judge how fast anyone moves in a relationship. But moving in with someone after a few weeks, that's a sign. Maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe maybe give it a couple months. Like, what's the rush? Um, her family had concerns as well. Her father at one point had phoned her mother after meeting him and said, he is much more in love with her than she is with him. Which is also honestly not a good sign. <laughs> he was very controlling. He was very jealous. And they would have absolutely horrific fights. Bad enough, she would leave the house they were sharing sometimes and would go stay with her mother for a couple days. That's rough. That's rough, especially this early in a relationship. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, if this early in a relationship, it should not be that hard. Bad news bears. Bad news bears. Things escalated. On August 27th of 1982, they argued, and during the course of the argument, Sweeney grabbed her hair and yanked it so hard, some clumps of it actually came out. Oh, no. She went to her mother's house. He stormed over to her mother's house, and he was, like, banging on the doors and windows. And he only left because her mom threatened to call the cops. But Dominique would return to him a few days later. Oh, no. Things became violent again about a month later on September 26th. Sweeney grabbed her by the neck during a fight and tried to strangle her. Thankfully, there was a friend staying with them, and he pulled Sweeney off of her. She ended up having to sneak out of the house to get away from him. This time, she ended things for good. She insisted that he move out of their shared home and change the locks. So this was promising. Things were looking up. She was filming a pilot for NBC called V. She was moving forward in her career. On October 30th of 1982, she was rehearsing a scene for the show with fellow actor David Packer. Sweeney showed up. He insisted Dominique speak with him. She did not want to, but against her better judgment, she went outside to talk to him. David Packer is still inside. He heard them arguing. He heard the sounds of slaps, screaming, and a thud. Oh, no. Yeah. 
Terrified, he called the police. And according to an article Dominique's father actually wrote, Dominic Dunn, uh, he was a uh, he wrote for Vanity Fair, and he wrote this about his daughter's death and and the subsequent trial. Packer then called a friend and left a voicemail on his friend's answering machine saying, if I die tonight, it was by John Sweeney. Damn. So Packer went outside. He wanted to check on Dominique. He saw Sweeney by her body. Police show up. And Sweeney says he killed his girlfriend and he took pills to kill himself. Oh, fuck. But he didn't. He lived. So. Rude. Rude. Uh, and Dominique wasn't dead yet. She was in a coma. Oh, that's so hard. The prognosis was not good. Doctors were calling her parents to ask for permission to put a bolt in her head. Oh, my God. To relieve the pressure on her brain. When the family got to the hospital, her father described the scene in the following. At first, I did not realize that the person on the bed was Dominique. There were tubes in her everywhere, and the life support system caused her to breathe in and out with a grotesque, jerking movement that seemed a parody of life. Her eyes were open, massively enlarged, staring sightlessly up to the ceiling. Her beautiful hair had been shaved off. A large bolt had been screwed into her skull to relieve the pressure on her brain. Her neck was purple and swollen. Vividly visible on it were the marks of the massive hands of the man who had strangled her. It was nearly impossible to look at her, but also impossible to look away. Oh, that's awful. It's awful. And, and I will say, um, the article her father wrote is, is, is exceptionally done. It's very moving. It's, it's hard to read, but if you're interested in reading the complete article he wrote about this, it is, it is well worth it. It will be in our sources. You can see it listed. It's easy to find by, by doing a Google search as well. Uh, and according to doctors, she would have been strangled for four to six minutes to cause this kind of damage. Was it actually for that long though? Well, well, here's the thing though. It takes minutes to strangle somebody to death. To actually strangle somebody to death, you have to be consistently applying a very intense and heavy pressure on somebody for a minimum of about two minutes. And that's assuming if they're not struggling, that's assuming you're not losing your grasp, that's assuming that you have this constant pressure. So, yeah, to, to actually, the way they show it in movies is so inaccurate. In fact, well, I'll get there. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. As the next few days passed and Dominique remained in her coma, doctors told the family her brain scans showed no activity. She was brain dead. Oh, it's so sad. 19 days before her 23rd birthday, November 4th of 1982, she was taken off of life support. In one last generous act, her organs were donated. So her death allowed some others to live. And John Sweeney would officially be charged with murder. And I will say, I, I feel compelled to pause to say this. It is really tempting, and it was really tempting, to go full on down this rabbit hole about this whole case. Oh, I believe it. 
this could, and and maybe one day it will be a full case I cover all by itself for an episode because there's so many different pieces to it and so much to it that's just maddening, particularly about the trial. Sweeney, like the tool bag douche canoe asshole that he is, pled not guilty. Are you shocked by this? No. No. But also, like, who did it then? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a puzzlement. <laughs> That's, wait, so, okay, but do you at least know what happened in the trial? I'm so intrigued. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go a little bit into okay. what happened in the trial. Um, but I will say part of his opening remarks, the the prosecuting attorney like just set a stopwatch for I think it was four minutes or something to show how long he would have been strangling her for. Damn. Because and again, I challenge you at home, even you don't even have to do four. Set a stopwatch for two minutes Set the timer for two minutes and sit there for two minutes. And imagine. Every time we see somebody dying in a movie by strangulation, it's over relatively quick. The trial began in August of 1983, and part of the witnesses for the prosecution was a former girlfriend who testified that, yep, he was extremely violent throughout their relationship. Apparently, at one point, he broke her nose. Oh, my God. When they would fight, he would break furniture and items in their apartment, and he um, perforated an eardrum and collapsed one of her lungs. What? So, you know, a heck of a guy. Also patterns. Patterns. But in a really, really messed up turn, the judge did not allow her testimony to be on the record. Why? Um, and again, this is where I say, like, one of these days I should do a full episode going down this whole rabbit hole of <sighs> everything having to do with the trial. Cause, but it also just pisses you off so much. It's kind of hard to recount um that's infuriating because you're going to be getting more angry (laughs) oh no so the trial progressed the judge also decided he would not accept a first degree murder charge how why only manslaughter and second degree and i mean again to be fair not to be fair no because i fuck this guy um (laughs) but it comes down to premeditation and first degree murder implies that it was planned But do you know that it wasn't? You don't. I mean, he showed up saying he wanted to talk, but his defense was just like, I don't remember what happened. I showed up and she was so cruel to me and we had reconciled, but she said all these horrible things and I just blacked out and maybe I did it, but maybe, I mean, it was like the Chicago excuse, you know, I just blacked out. I don't know what could have happened. So manslaughter in second degree that's that's ultimately what the judge said he could be charged with and i'm sorry you're gonna get even angrier after deliberating God damn it. the jury came back with a verdict of voluntary manslaughter and a misdemeanor assault six and a half years in prison that's ready it? to get wait ready to get more mad they were allowed to take off time served in total he served three years seven months and 27 days what in the actual fuck what in the actual fuck Within months of his release from prison, he was hired as head chef at the Chronicle in Santa Monica. And I got to say, in a quote in the Los Angeles Times, her brother Griffin Dunn, who I love just from all the things he said alone. He said, this guy gets to be reinstated as the head chef in a restaurant as if nothing ever happened. I don't want people to think, hey, he killed someone, but I'll have this steak anyway. 
So her family, I think it was her mother and her brother, they would hand flyers out to people going into the restaurant that said, the food you will eat tonight was cooked by the hands that killed Dominique Dunn. Damn. Damn. That's awesome, though. Yeah. But this poor, oh, poor baby, he felt pressure to quit and left L.A. He changed oh, his name to John Mora. In fact, at one point in time, he was in Florida, and then he was in the Pacific Northwest, and he was back in California. And I will say, okay, I read one article. That referenced this. Someone on Reddit. This reference. This Uh-oh. article. This legit article referenced Reddit because somebody on Reddit was convinced they found him. And at least as of 2014, he was working as a chef at a small retirement community. Now, I am not going to say the name of that community because I feel like that's irresponsible. That being said, the internet it took exists. me all of three minutes to find this information, and the internet exists. Have fun, guys. Have fun, people who want to find this out. You can go find it out. It will not be hard. So all of that sucks. It is awful. It is. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. I would like to repeatedly punch this man's balls. (laughs) Um, No, I take that back. I would like to peel his penis like an onion. Wow, Kim. (laughs) Am I wrong, Gabby? Am I wrong? Is that a hashtag for this episode? <laughs> Peel his penis like an... Un- there, I feel like there's people in this world. I think... Did I say this about Pedro Lopez, too? I may have. Probably. There are people in this world who deserve to have their penis peeled like an onion. I think like an onion will be the hashtag, and people like will just have onion. to figure it out. <laughs> um, we can start a list of all the people who should have their penis peeled like an onion. I'm just oh, yeah, saying this yeah, repeatedly yeah. now. I'm sorry. It's again, I was when I was researching this, I just get really, really upset. Rightfully. Um, so again, this is this is horrific, but is this because of a curse? I mean, really. Is this because of a curse? Because if this you was part of a say curse, it together. One, two, three. No, no curse. Oh, no curse. No curse. Oh, we fucked it up. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. That's just awful men and like a terrible system. Like and a that's terrible what system. that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a curse. It's no. something that people can control and choose not to. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Unfortunately. This uh, was not a tragic accident. This was a deliberate choice a man made to commit violence against a woman. And not take responsibility for and it. And not that I think more than anything else is is what really made me want to peel his penis like an onion. <clears throat> and we're back. And we're back, folks. All right. I, mean, I apologize to any men at home getting Don't uncomfortable. Don't ever apologize to men, Kim. I mean, I'm not really that sorry. I just, like, I some of the people, I know some of the men who listen to our podcast, and they're lovely men, and, and we don't want to peel your penis like an onion. Not yet. Um, <laughs> I guess that's the life lesson, folks. Don't do anything to make Gabby and Kim want to peel your penis like an onion. <laughs> What's the topic for this episode I again? <laughs> I've just gotten away from me. Okay. Hey, focus fairy, Kim. Focus fairy. All right. So Julian Beck. 
Julian Beck is next on our list of possible curse victims. Mm-hmm. He played the very creepy Reverend Kane in Poltergeist 2 and would die while the film was in post-production, about eight months away from its release on September 14th of 1985. So, I mean, yeah, like, that could totally be cursy, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Let's look at his death. He died at age of 60, so, you know, that's, that's eh. youngish. Yeah, that's not too bad. Stomach cancer, which is sad. But also, (laughs) here comes the fingy. Here comes the scully. I'm sorry. He was diagnosed with cancer before signing on to the film. Ah, like he had cancer while he was filming. He knew he had cancer. He was diagnosed in 1983. In fact, one of the reasons his performance is so creepy and terrifying is you, you look at this guy and he's kind of horrifying to look at. He looks, he's skinny and like a, an unhealthy kind of way. He looks prematurely aged, which you don't know this when you're watching the film. But like when I first saw the film, I didn't know this, but you're looking at a guy who's dying. That's so sad. Like he looks like death literally. In fact, one of the articles I read that was on screen rant uh, said that Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, the first time she saw him on set, she burst into tears because he was so creepy. Oh no. But he wanted to finish the film even as he knew he was dying. So, Mulder, curse or no curse? Should we do it together? Should we we do it together? One, two, three. No! No. Curse. Curse. (laughs) I wasn't sure if you were going to do curse again. I don't think that's a curse. I think that that's a guy who knew he had cancer, who just wanted to do one last hurrah and film Mm -hmm. a film, knowing he looked like he was deteriorating and he really fit the part. He fit it, yeah. And he was was primarily like a stage actor. And and I mean, he does a really great, a little bit over-the-top job. Um, But uh, again, a man dying of cancer as he's going in to make a movie... He would have still died even if he had not made that movie. Especially going into it knowing you had cancer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, Uh, like, this isn't like all of the dudes who died of heart attacks mm. after dealing with what's-his-face. Oh, um, you Jake Bird, the Jake Bird curse. Yes, the Jake Bird curse where, like, all these dudes died of heart attacks. But then Mm -hmm. even then, like, they were spread out and it wasn't around the same time. And, like, some of them were kind of weird. It was over the course of the next year. (laughs) See, that's more cursy to me than someone that, like. Absolutely. Has cancer and chooses to take Mm -hmm. on a role for her for a film for his, like, last hurrah. Those are very, very different situations. I will say an extra bit of, like, creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. The character, not the actor, because he's dead, the character comes back in part three. So they recast the actor, but rather than just letting some new actor just kind of fully take on this part, they made a mask of his face and put it on this poor actor. That's so creepy. (laughs) Dude, and it is. You it's 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 like I still I have not seen part three yet, but I've seen pictures and like dude. Dude, you know what that makes me think of? (laughs) What? It makes me think of like the new 
Star Wars stuff that's come out recently where mm. they make uh, Mark Hamill young again in it. Yeah. And, like, it's all it's digitized. Absolutely. Yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. really good. And they found an actor that, like, looks a lot like him and then they digitized mm-hmm. it. But could you imagine if they took a mask of young Mark Hamill and then put it on a person? That would be an entirely different Star Wars. That, that, that creates a very different image. A new genre, even. A horror. new genre. <laughs> horror um, Star Wars. Horror Star Wars. Wars. Uh, okay, so let's move on to Will Sampson. Mm-hmm. Actually, Will Sampson Jr. He okay. was a six foot seven Native American, and according to his obituary, he was full blooded Muscogee Creek. Cool. Uh, he worked in rodeos and as a ranch hand before he transitioned into acting. And most people actually know him for his portrayal of Chief Bromden in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, nice. Yeah. But in Poltergeist 2, he played a shaman named Taylor. Now, the movie came out in 1986. And as we mentioned, during filming, he performed this ritual to kind of, like, banish the bad energy, banish the spirits, whatever. Did this cause his death? Dun, dun, dun. Well, he did die at age 53. That's young. That's young. But this was 41 days after having a heart-lung transplant. Oh, that's context. So that's, you know, it's kind of a major surgery. Uh, And according to one article I read in the Oklahoman, he had a condition called, I'm going to mispronounce this. That's what it's called? That's what it's called. He had a condition called um, scleroderma. Okay. You're only getting that once. That's what she said. That's what she said. (laughs) According to myoclinic.org is a rare disease that involves hardening and tightening the skin that can also cause problems in blood vessels, internal organs, and digestive Ah. tract. Yeah. So this disease impacted his heart, his lungs, his skin, which is awful. That sounds horrible. Sure. But also something that I believe was happening pre-being part of this movie. And going into surgery, he was already in bad shape. So he was a big guy, right? He's six foot seven. Damn. He was 260 pounds, but going into the surgery, he was down to 140 pounds. Oh my God, that's so skinny for someone that tall. For a six foot seven human. That's like skin and bones. That's skin and bones. And, and, and this is also something that probably contributed to his death. So curse or no curse. What say you? One, two, (laughs) three. No No curse. curse. We oh, we there. did it! We did so it. So proud. Go team. High we're, five. We're so accomplished. Oh my gosh, am I turning into Scully? What's happening? It's, I'm wiping away a tear right now. I, But it's, I mean, again, movie curses, well, I have a whole little tirade I'm saving for the end, so there you go. Oh, <clears> watch <throat> out for Kim's tirade. <laughs> it's it's going to be a good one. Uh, this brings me to Heather O'Rourke. Heather O'Rourke is, next to Dominique Dunn, the other case that that people really look at when they're pointing to, like, there was a curse. Um, I think mostly, too, it's, it's she was one of the more well-known actors, and it's a really sad story. Heather was born in December of 1975. Her parents recognized how special she was very early. She started taking dance and performing classes. Um, she entered local child beauty pageants. I mean... She she was she was a gorgeous child. She had all that beautiful blonde hair and just mm-hmm. a very sweet face. She was a stunning kid. Her older sister Tammy was very into dance and she wanted to kind of take after her older sister. And Tammy actually got a dancing role in the MGM movie adaption of Pennies from Heaven. 
as well as a featured dancing role in Annie. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. So this is ultimately what led to Heather being discovered. So she's four years old. She's on set with her sister. And who spots this adorable little girl but none other than Steven Spielberg? Of course. And there's a really cute story about how they met where he walks over to her and she's like, I don't know, they're eating her sandwich or whatever. And he, he starts talking to her. And she's like, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. <laughs> and it was very cute. And he keeps going back and kind of, I, with her parents there, not like as a weird old creeper. But um, he was just charmed by her and thought, I need, I need to cast this kid for a movie. And, sure. and I need this kid for the movie. And so by age of five, she was going to play the youngest member of the Freeling family, Carol Ann. And from there, more commercial roles, television roles would follow, and all of the sequels. She was part of all of the sequels. She is uh, one of the only other members of the family, I believe, who are part of, of all the commercials. Because I know, like, Craig T. Nelson, who plays the dad in the first and the second, he didn't come back for the third. Um, there was, there, I mean, Dominique Dunn obviously didn't come back for the sequels. Right. There, was, there was a lot of changeover in the cast. That makes sense, though, based on context. Oh, oh Absolutely. Uh, but a little bit before Poltergeist 3 starts filming, she became ill. And initially it kind of looked like the flu, mm -hmm. but it didn't go away. And doctors could not figure out what was wrong. And ultimately what they found out, she was tested for an infection from a microorganism called Giardia lamblia. Hashtag Kim's favorite names. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I think, I think I dated her in high school. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Okay, so it can be caught from drinking water from a tainted source, like a stream Ooh, or something. And they <laughs> pull it together, girl. We're almost done. So um, you get it from drinking from a tainted water source, like a stream, a mountain stream. And they actually think they had this house in the mountains, and they thought, well, maybe it was from the well. But weirdly, no one else in the family had it which was a little weird if it's it, strange she, it's, it's kind of strange but they they treated it she seemed like she was getting better there was still some inflammation though in her small intestine so doctors then diagnosed her with crohn's disease oh okay and started treating her with steroids which caused some swelling and it caused swelling in her cheeks and mm -hmm. you actually when you when you watch the third movie and I, again i looked at a bunch of pictures um i need to watch the third movie now but uh you see it. You see it in her face. It was something she became very self-conscious about. Mm. On February 1st of 1988, she'd been feeling ill and kind of off for a couple days. She collapsed. Oh, no. On the way to the hospital, she went into cardiac arrest. Ooh, that's bad. She was revived. She was rushed into surgery. Doctors realized she had something obstructing her small intestine. And then it caused her intestine to burst. Oh, that's really bad. That's really bad. Because from that, there was an infection in her blood. It caused septic shock. And despite their best efforts, she died at 2.43 p.m. She was 12 years old. Oh, that's so sad. Again, with the septic shock. Yeah. So doctors determined that she had a congenital birth defect. That caused a narrowing of her intestine. Huh. And that the infection she'd had the previous year had aggravated it. 
and an obstruction formed in her intestine Mm -hmm. and started collecting fecal matter and other things. So it just was growing and growing and growing and then burst suddenly leading to her death. Oh, that's so sad. And I'll say too, like there was some weird stuff with her death. Her parents, I think, ended up suing the doctors and and got a settlement. And and um, there was some legitimately weird things. Like this sort of condition usually presents when a kid is still very young. So doctors were really puzzled by that and how quickly she seemed to take a turn. Mm-hmm. But again. She, uh, unless we're looking at something insanely supernatural, like this is in theory something that she was born with. It just was never diagnosed. That's really sad. So this could have still very easily happened even if she had not done the movie. Therefore. I'm not not ready to call curse on this one. (laughs) I feel like with most of these, once you hear the backstory of why. Yeah. It makes sense that it's not a curse. But for the sake of, like, funsies, which is the technical term. That is the technical term. If you don't know context and all these weird things happen, oh, I could totally see how it would be considered a curse. One And so, so the film team, they had been ready to shoot this new ending for Poltergeist 3 when she passed. And mm-hmm. the director was so upset by her death, he decided to not finish the film. He didn't feel like he could do it. MGM forced him to finish the film. Mm-hmm. They had to film a new ending with a double for Heather. And again, I watched clips of the ending. I feel like I watched so many clips from this movie at this point. I've seen it. Um, like they're having to hide her face. They've got this little blonde girl in the mom's arms or whatever, and her face is hiding. Uh, those involved were really, really upset at being forced to finish this film and, and do publicity for it um, that they refused. They were like, nope. Like, we'll film it because we have to under contract, but we're not going to publicize it. And Zelda Rubenstein was so upset because in interviews, she was constantly being asked, you know, is this film cursed? Mm -hmm. So she then specifically gave an interview to address all of it. And she criticized those blaming these tragic deaths on a curse. So again, curse or no curse? One, two, three. No, no curse. curse. <laughs> okay, these right. next ones are not going to be helping the the anyone who's still clinging to the idea of the curse because these are so ridiculous. Uh, next on the list know, is our. I might like it. You might like it. That's true. <laughs> next on our list is our plane crash. Richard Lawson. Uh, Richard Lawson, who P.S. then went on to like marry Beyonce's mom. <laughs> oh, really? That Richard Lawson. Yeah. Um, he, pl- I think he's still married to her as far as I know. Uh, he played Dr. Ryan Mitchell in the original film. So he boarded a flight at LaGuardia Airport in New York heading to Cleveland on March 22nd of 1992. In an interesting twist, he was recognized by someone on the flight crew who upgraded him to first class. Nice. Pre- press save on that fact. It's important. Okay. Saving. It was snowing. Mm. And the wings of the plane became covered in ice. Shortly after taking off, it crashed into the freezing cold water of Flushing Bay. Yikes. 27 people died. The pictures of the plane crash are awful. They are really bad. sounds bad. Of the 51 people on board, 24 would survive, including Richard Lawson. 
he survived the plane crash. Because he was moved? He probably only lived because he was switched because at least one person in the row where he was originally supposed to be sitting died. Of course. So this is what I find interesting about including this in the curse talk. Lawson survived. It, like if he hadn't, sure, let's put that on the curse. We can curse or no curse that to, to our heart's content. But he didn't. He lived through a crash that killed over half the people on the plane. So that doesn't really sound like a curse. That sounds like yay. Yeah, that sounds more like a yay. That sounds, sounds like, like a, a I mean, for him, not for like we're not yay plane crash. No, but like, no. Me as a human, I survived a plane crash. That's like I was having a good day. That was good luck. I have some little angel on my shoulder. Especially with the seat change. Right? Yeah. I would say that that's maybe just being in that situation could be considered a curse, but I feel like it's not... A, I know this is a terrible thing to say, no, but I yeah. feel like it's not a bad enough situation to loop it into the other curses comparative to like every other curse that we're claiming is a curse. It's you know? a huge, huge stretch. And that's where I'm saying these next couple to me are insanely huge stretches, but people will sometimes loop it in when they're speaking very, very generally. Again, generally. Generally. Because to say it with all these others, you're like, oh, holy crap. But when you actually look into the backstory of all of it, you're like, okay, dude, really? <laughs> Fair. Um, okay, so next. Lou Perryman. Mm-hmm. He had a pretty small part in the original movie. Uh, he played Pugsley. And Perryman was living in Austin, Texas when he was murdered by a man who wanted to steal his car. Oh, did I mention he was murdered with an axe? No. Yeah, no, he was axe murdered. Um, was Mike Myers involved? The actor. <laughs> was Jake Bird involved, dude? <laughs> I meant more so like, so I married an axe murderer. Oh, I don't think he married an axe murderer. Uh, police pick up 26-year-old Seth Christopher Tatum, who tells them he's pretty sure he killed the guy whose car he stole, and police had to go find the body. Pretty sure? Yeah, he's pretty sure. He's not 100% sure. He's only pretty sure. <laughs> This isn't funny, but it's so ridiculous. Like, what the hell, man? Like, uh-huh. get your facts straight. At least know if you killed somebody or not. It's just, it's so random. It's so weird. Um, okay, so now axe murder. That's pretty cursy, right? Yeah, that's like, a cursy move. That's cursy. Okay, so one, he was not a huge part of the original film. In fact, more people know him from Blues Brothers and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which he was in. Two... He was murdered in 2009. No. Which is like, that's a long time okay. from the first movie. Hold on. So this is where I go, when do we, like, where's the curse cut off? Where's, right? Oh, it's, you're gonna, you're, hold on to your britches. Okay. Oh, no. So, because I think you're no curse for this, I'm assuming, from your reaction in your face <laughs> right now, which the people at home can't see, but they can hear it. They can hear your face through the microphone. Yeah. The last one. Zelda Rubenstein. Oh, Zelda. I always, I always adored her. Um, she was on Picket Fences, and I loved Picket Fences when I was a kid. She has also since passed. When? <laughs> it's not just when, it's how old she was. Okay, first of all, it was 2010 <laughs> when she died, people. So 22 years after the last Poultry Guys film she was in. Poultry Guys cut off. Curse cut off. Second of all, she was 76 and had health problems and had like had a small heart attack not too long before she died. So like if we're just looking at anyone who like dies as being part of a curse, we're in trouble. 
Because to your point, where are we cutting this off? This makes it's, me want to look into like every other movie, like comedies, like not even horror films. I think it would be so funny to find like a comedy. So I married an axe murderer, for sure. example, since we brought it up. And look into like every person that was involved in it. How many of them died? What happened? Oh, Any accidents? Absolutely. Anything like that? And then throw a curse on a comedy. And then it would like just do a wild spin on that genre. But like, how, it makes me question <laughs> how many movies are cursed that are not horror films. I 100% want to pick like the most random movie on the planet. And go on Reddit, because I'm an asshole, and oh. just, like, start a rumor about this. Like, just to your point, find any possible thing we can contribute to be like, I think this movie's cursed, and here's why. And see how many people spiral on it. Oh, that'd be so fun. It would be fun. We should do this. Maybe, Maybe we only should for give our- that as, like, a homework assignment for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Who can make up the best curse for the weirdest movie and make it happen? One, okay, so... um. Those were all the major things I could find for the original franchise. I did look at the reboot because I was curious. Okay. No one seems to have died in an untimely manner. The director of the film, Gil Keenan, Kenan, Keenan, Jill, Kenan, Keenan. Hmm. <laughs> it's not a good night for me in names. I'm sorry. <clears throat> he, he gave some accounts of strange activities that happened on set during a Reddit AMA. God bless Reddit. This is apparently where... You, this is an episode about Reddit is what this it, is. Unintentionally. Uh, but this was a real interview he gave, so it's legit. And he said, lights that could turn on anywhere else in the neighborhood would blow out the second you tried to light them on the set. Also, I used a lot of aerial drone photography in the film, and the drone pilots were never able to lock in the GPS signal in this field. We would have to move 10 feet away to launch the craft. The house that I rented during filming was straight up legit haunted by a female spirit dressed in black, and I became aware of her within the first few (gasps) days of staying in the house. And only after I left did I receive a call from the previous owner, who had moved back in, who was terrified by the goings-on in the house and wanted to see if I had experienced any of it. So it was an incredible real-life inspiration for filming that followed me home. Okay, so that I believe a hundred percent. That I absolutely believe. But again, that's a haunting, not a curse. And honestly, having a haunting associated with poltergeist is a little bit more on brand. Absolutely. So, like, okay, so for me, and and I feel like we've covered this pretty well. This to me is on par. With when you wake up and like your alarm hasn't gone off, so you're late and it's raining outside and you spill your coffee on your shirt and you're just like, oh, I'm having a bad day. So everything that happens after that becomes a confirmation. No matter what it is, you find a way to uh, this only happened because I'm having a bad day. Yeah. And you hyper focus on only those things. And we talked about this a little bit with the Exorcist films, you know. Uh, this is a reasonably sized franchise. If we're counting the remake, that's four films. Of those four films, which have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people working on them, mm-hmm. a very small number experienced, comparatively speaking to the vast number of people working on this film, a small number of people experienced tragedy, um, which is not indicative of a curse. And honestly, to look at the deaths of like Dominic Dunn, I think that is a grave disservice. Pun intended. 
Well, to to victims of domestic violence, to women who are murdered by a partner, it's making light of a real scary issue. To say it's a curse. Yeah, to loop it in as part of a curse. And and, and with Heather O'Rourke, very similarly, like this girl's family experienced something really horrific and this poor child died at 12 from a, a, a medical mess up. But... To say it's a curse, and, and that's where I come back to the, the quote from the guy at the beginning. Like, I think he said it really well. Like, this is this is really an awful thing to look at these tragedies and say a curse did it. And it makes light of something that we should not be making light of. Um so are, where are you where are you standing on this? Curse or no curse? I, I feel like I know this, but I, I would like confirmation. I think you know where I stand with this. Um, And it's really hard to molder something like this when we're able to, like, get the facts. Like, what I want to know more about is this freaking haunting of this lady in black that, like... I want to know that oh, story. Can okay, we go so, into that more? So, like, so this is a really nice segue because... um. Poltergeist itself was inspired by a real case. The Herman family on Long Island experienced strange phenomena back in 1958. And I actually had plans. That's what I was researching that day at the bar when I posted mm-hmm. the picture from the book. Mm-hmm. I was researching the Herman case. And I had every intention of going more in depth about that in this episode. But very quickly it became apparent. Oh, okay. Well, two things. One, there is so many other case things with this that I don't need to, but two, this is a whole episode by itself. Yeah. So we will be talking about in a future episode, the Herman family and the poltergeist experience they had back in 1958. Nice. And I can look in to see if I can find anything more about the, the remake ghost, but I doubt unless the directors talk more of it or gives more information about the family home, there's not going to be a whole lot more out there, but you're right. I find that so much more interesting because it's true. It's more fascinating. I feel like that it might not necessarily um, contribute to a curse, but I also think it's just more intriguing to talk about. A haunting is not a curse, folks. A haunting is not a curse. No, it's a haunting. Uh, but that's the poltergeist curse, and and I will be curious, listeners, where do you stand? Send us a message. Tell us, curse or no curse. Comment on our IG or our Facebook. Uh, I know, I know, I am sometimes aggressively scullying things, and I know sometimes people think I scully too much. But <laughs> I listen. I've gotten more sensitive to it. Okay. <laughs> um. But I would be curious if there's anyone out here who really could defend the curse. And I'm not saying that in a mocking way. Like, if you feel like you have reason, you can point at this and say this is a legitimate curse and not just a a series of unfortunate events, reach out to us. Let us know. Like, honestly, the only thing I could think of would be the bones. Like, that would be the only thing that I could think of if they, depending on where they source the bones from. If it was sourced from, like, non-medical grade things, like, then I'd be like, but then even then, there's sure. nothing to prove it, you know? And so no. eh, I, I, well, I reside particularly, with Particularly, I have to say, the bones, as far as I know, the real skeletons were only used in part one. And some of these actors that get associated with the curse were in part two or part three. Or part two, I guess. Debunked. So, I, I mean, again, I just... But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, 
Nice. Bulger Guys Curse. Oh, that was that was a good time. All movie right. curses are I'm, I'm enjoying the movie curses there will be more there will be more movie curses in our future uh it's kind of fun to like just f- go full metal scully <laughs> and i joined you this time so we did it together i know i i wasn't sure if you would so we uh, did it bonus good for us high five high five girl high five okay yes. and this brings us to Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Okay, so I got into the Gilded Age. <laughs> oh, I've been wanting to watch that! I, I love a period love piece. It. I love a period piece. I love uh, costume porn. I love... Um, no, I've been really enjoying it. I mean, you, you, part of it for me is it's like a who's who of stage actors. You have all these freaking brilliant stage actors who are who are playing all these great, you know, some of them bigger parts, some of them smaller parts, but it's become really fun. There's a number of 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 smaller parts in the show played by some really renowned stage actors who were not really known outside of of Broadway necessarily. So that's been kind of fun like spot the musical theater actor for me. Nice. But uh no, it's 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 fun. It's pretty. It's uh Full of, of, I mean, Christine Baranski is chewing on scenery and, and, uh, you just have all these really lovely actors and, and, uh, so that's been an unexpected, um, kind of delight to fall into. And I binge through it's, it's still, the new episodes are still running. So I binge through all the episodes real fast and, uh, am now anxiously awaiting next week's episode. So that was fun. Nice. I also started watching uh, Marvel's What If, which is one of the few Marvel shows because I I liked WandaVision. I liked um, I was fine with with Winter Soldier, Falcon Winter Soldier. I dug Loki. Loki was a good time. Uh, Hawkeye was fun. I, I, I enjoy I enjoy my Marvel, but I hadn't watched What If yet. And I started watching it and I haven't watched all of them. I've been kind of jumping around, but I wanted to watch the episode where What If there's like a zombie plague that hits the MCU. No, it's, you know, Iron Man is a zombie. I didn't know that was missing from my life, but it was. Um, I'm pretty sure Terrence watched that. And I happened to like walk in one day while he was watching that. I was like, what the hell is this? It's ridiculous. And, and what, what's kind of a kick is that a bunch of the voice actor or a bunch of the actors from the franchise are voicing themselves. It's actually the last we get of um, Chadwick Boseman as uh oh, as black, black panther. panther it's he he was he's in a, a couple episodes some of them that feature him and i think this is the last mcu thing he did before he passed so sad. um but uh what i what's kind of fun too is like they're dark they're not I, some of them end a little bit more hopefully but the a lot of the ones i've watched before i'm like damn that's I'm surprised that it's very comic book versus Disney. Disney would not let you end a movie this way, but for a limited series, that's just exploring all these random one-off things. Absolutely. So I've been kind of going down a little bit of a TV train, uh, and watching some stuff I've been meaning to, to catch up on. Um, and I, I watched a couple movies the last few days that I'm saving for another creepy critics corner. Cause anyway, so that's, that's what I've been watching. What you've been watching. That's awesome. 
Um, well, I've been watching a lot of the same of what I've been talking about, just like newer episodes. So sure. I just finished the season finale of Euphoria. Wow, 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 wow. Um, I have feelings. I am frustrated, but satisfied simultaneously, but also not satisfied. And the way it ended pissed me off. Um, So I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin anything because that's a very new thing that just came out. Um, But what's really cool about the last two episodes of Euphoria in season two is that it's the way that it jumps back and forth in time. So it it shows um, a portrayal Mm -hmm. of a play that Lexi is putting on that Mm -hmm. is literally like verbatim what has happened in her life with her friends and family. Uh, And then it's showing the scenes of when those things actually happened with her friends and family, as well as it being acted on stage, then also what's happening in real time simultaneously. And it jumps back and forth in a way that like, if you hadn't been watching it, you'd be totally lost. So it's really smart in the way that it's done, but the way the last two episodes are shot directed, just done, is very much like horror vibes. The amount of suspense that is built and like the things that they show and then don't necessarily do anything with destroyed me. Like I Mm. I just was fully like my mom was making fun of me because I'm home right now. I was watching the episode with her and kept putting a pillow in front of my face because I didn't want to see what was going to happen. And she's like, still, you still do this. So like, it's good. It's really good. Um, I, I'm excited to see what happens in seasons three and four. I know they just signed up for um, two more seasons. So really curious to see how that goes. The writing is real good. There are a couple of loopholes that are not fully completed, and I'm curious to see how it gets introduced in season three. Um, but so many different storylines just happening simultaneously. It's it's impressive the way that it's executed. So Really, really, really good. If you, I know you said you haven't really caught up on it yet, but so I won't say much. But I, it's, it's I don't very know that good. it's one that I'm gonna gonna watch, so it's fine. But it's um, other people that are listening might watch, yeah. so I don't want to spoil anything. But um, in the world of comedy, I've been watching um, Space Force, the new season. I binged the whole thing with Terrence right before I left town. Um, freaking John Malkovich, man. He is my favorite in this show. He is just this sassy gay man who's so smart and intelligent, but is so easily irritated and just pisses people off. It's just like <laughs> so perfectly written and just the way he does it is so good. I just want to watch John Malkovich as his character in Space Force forever and always. Like, it's just great. It's so good. Um, the new season's fantastic. Uh, and I love Steve Carell. I just really yeah. love Steve Carell. He's so good. Uh, and then also, um, I had to share that I've been watching this other show um, with uh, my husband about, it's like our way of watching trash TV together. Um where he got to pick the show this time and it's done by the same people who do 90 90 day fiance and it's called love off the grid and it's about one person who lives in a city and another person who lives like legit off the grid off the grid like in a shack in the middle of a forest like like doomsday level yes like you have to find your own water like like that level and it's a relationship that's trying to happen between a person that lives off the grid 
and someone who does not that joins them. And ooh, this casting is wild. It's a wild ride. Ooh, but it's so good. It's very good. It's ridiculous. It's very well edited. My favorite thing about reality TV are the editors, the way that they (laughs) show things and just present everything is just chef's kiss. It's really, really great. Um, It's on uh, Discovery Plus if anyone wants to watch it. It's really ridiculous, but feel free to watch it if you want a good chuckle. And there's actually a couple on there that lives in the middle of nowhere, I think. I, I don't remember what state it is. It's been like a week since I've watched this show, but... I want to say it's like Alabama, like in the middle of nowhere. And it's a polygamist and his girlfriend. And he starts to build a town in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, Jim Jones, it's Jim Jones. He's doing a Jim Jones. He's creating a Jonestown. I was just coming off all the research from the last two episodes watching this. And I was, it was just very familiar, if you will. Um, so anyway, that's what I've been watching, but, uh, Love the dynamic of the things that we both present every time we do Creepy Critics Corner. We have we have different tastes. We, and we do. offer different options for different people. We do. And <laughs> one last thing I wanted to add, which is relevant to this topic, is that if you like a beer, if you drink a beer, um, I found a beer. My husband and I found a beer that is poltergeist themed. And it's called That's true. Go Into the Light Carol Ann. And it is by Stoop Brewery. Um, so if you really just want to like have a gung ho moment of poltergeist while thinking about uh, curses and having a beer, you can do them all together uh, at the same time. We are not sponsored by Stoop. I just wanted to share that. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not. At Stoop, would you like to sponsor us? That would Dude, be rad. That'd be amazing. Um, so anyway, uh, just had to share that piece as well. That's not really creepy critics corner, but just a fun fact. Um, but thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, if you would like to find us on our social meds, look up ghoulish tendencies, literally anywhere you will find us, but we have a website. It's ghoulish tendencies.com. All of our show notes, all of our social medias are on there. And we also have a Patreon as well. But if you like what we do, the best way to support us is by going over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rating and reviewing us. Um, share with your friends as well. Word of mouth is always a great time. Uh, having said that, thank you for listening. And stay spooky. spooky.